the Savior's blood? Died he for me? Who caused his pain? For me? Who him to death pursued? Amazing love. How can it be that that my God should die for me? I believe that often we, as good Christians, one of our, Paul tells Timothy, watch your life and doctrine closely. We believe that Jesus died for the sins, every sin of every person that's ever been, ever will be, and is presently on the planet. But it is so crucial that we embrace fully the fact that his blood and his love comes to you with the thing with and redeems you and cleanses you from the thing you're most ashamed of. And that could be even your essence, your, your, not just your sins, uh, but your sinfulness. That his love and his blood, yeah, you do have an interest in his love and in his blood, even you. Even you. He's the, God, he's, the, he's the chaser of us. Even in our worship, you know, I, I'm often staggered by our worship. But our worship isn't just a dance with God leading the dance of the Spirit in interactive communication and communion. I will often have a open vision or a vision open it's open to me <laughs> vision of Jesus in his glory moving towards me, coming towards me, driven by his love towards me, coming after me. He's, there's never a time in your personal journey with God that he's not coming towards you in love. There's nothing you can do to stop it. John the Gospeler was someone that was hit by the love of God. So much so, as I mentioned to you in the past, I said four times, but I looked it up, it's actually five times. He doesn't refer to him as a servant of God, himself as a servant of God or a, an apostle or a disciple. His whole identity is expressed by the fact that he's so smitten. He just refers to himself as the one who Jesus loved. And God would like to give you a deeper revelation that you are the one who Jesus loved. Yeah, he loves everybody just the same, but that doesn't minimize the infinite quality and dimension of the eternal life, not just everlasting life, but the eternal life in terms of quality, abundant life in terms of experience. He's the most positive person in the universe, and he is running towards you and towards me, constantly coming toward us. And it changes us. It's not a cognitive, intellectual embracing. It is actually something that transforms our, even our physicality. 
John's nickname, along with his brother James, Jesus called them the sons of thunder. They go through a Samaritan village and Samaritans are, are rude to them. John, Lord, shall I call down fire from heaven to devour them? Son of thunder. A group of people are casting out demons that aren't part of their group. Lord, shall I tell them to stop? Jesus, in both cases, says, hey, just back up. Just chill. It's all good. And he became the one that talked most. As the harshest one, he became the one that talked most about the affection of Jesus. And he leaned against the chest of Jesus, the bosom of Jesus at the Last Supper. And his whole life was transformed by Jesus and Jesus' love coming towards him. Every part of his ministry. There's a bit that comes to us from early church history in the generation or two after the New Testament was written. Where one of the early church fathers wrote this about John in Ephesus. He ministered in Jerusalem for about about 30 or 40 years before it fell. And then he went on to Ephesus and was the apostle to the churches as a 90-year-old. All the other apostles had been martyred by then, and he was ministering to second, third generation Christians in that, in that place. And even as an old guy, he was carried in to preach to the people in the church of Ephesus. He'd already been to Patmos and got the revelation, wrote John's gospel for second, third John. And he was still filled with vim and vigor and the anointing of the spirit and the love of God, still, his heart was still smitten. He was still the one Jesus loved in his own mind, in his own heart. He was carried in and it was his turn to preach. And every time they brought him in to preach, he always, he always had like a, his sermon was really short. He said, brothers and sisters, love one another. In other words, this, let this love that has smacked you transform you. Let the Holy Spirit that's poured out on you make you an atmosphere changer so that every time someone runs into you, they run, they run smack into an experience, a manifestation, an aura, a, a uh, environment, a force field of the divine love of heaven. Little children love each other every time. Finally, someone, someone said, how come you keep preaching the same thing? And he responded, love one another? Yeah, because the Lord has commanded it and it is enough. I often tell people that I lead the faith in Christ on the street. Just let Jesus love you. And try to love other people best you can. Not to earn points with God, but to say thank you for him loving you. Yeah. Amen. My friends, 
I want to let you in on a secret. The only thing that has kept me going in serving as a pastor, and this is the third church I pastored for over 40 years, 40 years now. The only thing that keeps me going is the absolute revelation that God is chasing you. God's pursuing you. And you're not going to get away. So you might as well just always just give up and let him catch you. It's the only thing that keeps me going. I prayed with a guy to receive Christ yesterday, young guy in the street, Walmart parking lot. He looked like he was a little skinny guy. He looked like if he turned sideways, you couldn't even see him. But he had uh, blue and pink hair. And you know, as I started sharing the gospel with him, it became clear he had absolutely no, no teaching. Didn't understand any of our jargonese. Theological jargonese like saved or sin or. It's like he knew nothing. But you know, the word says God has put eternity in the heart of man. There was something that started to be revealed in him. Something that came out, I could see it in my spirit. Where he was hungry for a connection with the eternal. He listened. I said, I'm not trying to get you to join my church or change political parties. What I want, want you to do is, what I want to do is take the hand of Jesus and put it in your hand. And I want you to start a journey with Jesus where you let him love you. that was enough for him. He called on Jesus to be saved. He said he did have a Christian friend. And he said he was eager to text that Christian friend. So that person who's already been praying for him could disciple him into ever increasing levels. Ever increasing dimensions of supernatural peace in his inner world. Because there's no peace outside of Jesus. Supernatural joy unspeakable and full of glory in his inner personhood. Resonating within him. There's no one can give you that like Jesus. And supernatural dance that just won't stop. And he was hungry for that. He got connected to the one that... I want to tell you why. The only thing that keeps me preaching and trying to make the gospel clear on the street is the absolute confidence of Jesus, the chaser, the pursuer. Our charity's coming for you. It's always fun in my devotions to come across another verse that emphasizes what you've already been sort of meditating on. And I read in Jude, Jude, or listen to it, be read to me in Jude, Jude 1, verse 21, after Jude's talking quite harshly about end time stuff for 
for those that don't know Christ. He says, until Jesus, in verse 21, until Jesus Christ comes back, keep yourself in the love of God. My friends, I think the singular best way to live out your life until Christ comes back is to continually be obsessed with the loving one who's chasing you with his love. Never forget that he has has such deep affection for you, likes you. And he even likes people you don't like. Don't forget that either. He loves people that you don't naturally love. We sang this morning, King of Heaven, come. It's like riding a bicycle downhill. It's already happening, but you can just pedal a little bit faster if you want. When we cry, when we call out and sing, King of Heaven, come, we're not asking him to do something that he's not already doing. We're just saying we welcome it. We welcome you coming to us, oh God. I'm going to just mention three ways that he comes to us, three things that, three graces. We are pursued with love through the grace of reasoning. I like to address that from time to time because charismatic Holy Spirit churches are pretty famous nowadays for saying stuff like, God offends the mind so he can reach the heart, stuff like that. And I, I think full on we need, I, I, I believe, and I'm going to try and talk you into it continually, that, uh, that God created our minds and wants us to love him with our minds. And that reasoning is one of the ways that he uses to corner us into the realization that he is for us and after us and that there's no place to go. C.S. Lewis said, me seeking God is a little bit like a mouse seeking a cat. So here, the verses I wanted us to focus, and again, I'm not going to be able to elaborate on it. Elaborate on it. It pretty much said what I wanted to say concerning John's overall message, but I just want to ramble on it just a little bit more from particular verse, John 20, verse 26 and following. It's the resurrection story of Thomas coming to faith. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them, Jesus came and the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your fingers here and look at my hands. Reach your hands here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet I believe. In other words, I'm giving you a sign, a personal sign. But it would, really would have been better, Thomas, if you had believed the testimony of the other apostles. God expects us to believe the testimony of the other apostles before even the, own, the other signs that he gives us personally in our life. Did you hear me? 
The other signs he gives us in our life are important. But more important, like, like it was for Thomas, that was a pretty cool sign. Agreed? But Jesus said, it would have been better if you just believed the testimony of the apostles. It is better to believe the testimony of the apostles. And he expects us to believe the testimony of the apostles more than even our own experience of signs. Can you imagine yourself in a time machine for a moment? And you go back to the eight major signs in John's gospel that he gives. You go back to the, the, the wedding at Cana of Galilee, and you're in your DeLorean time machine. And you look out the window as it's hovering a few feet away from the event. And you see the surprise and joy, astounding amazement. Water turned to wine. And then immediately you go to the next cameo, where a little boy, in the, in the Greek it's Pydia, my, my little son, my little son is dying. And you see Jesus just give a word, and the joy that's on that dad's face when he knows his son is completely well. And you move to a situation where at, at, at a pool, a pool of Siloam, where a guy, that's been, a guy that's been crippled for years and years and years, his whole life almost, is disabled. At a word, Jesus says, get up and walk. And you're there and you see it. Would you tend to believe in Jesus if these things happen? What if you watched the... What if you then immediately in your time machine saw through the window of your time machine and in real life Jesus multiplying food for people? What if you saw the blind man heal and seeing for the first time? What if you saw that? What if you saw people mourning and crying in front of the tomb of Lazarus and Jesus himself identifying with their sorrow and love, weeping and crying too. But then he looks at the tomb and says, if you believe, you'll see the power of God. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. Well, he said it a bit louder than that. And they, they've rolled the tomb, the, 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 the stone away, and out comes this mummified Lazarus leaping. Can hop and help. Just loose him and let him go. And he's alive. He's alive. What if you saw that? Would you believe? And this word says, many other signs did Jesus do. And his disciples believed in him. Truly, many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the son of God so here we go signs then comes belief then comes life that is truly life eternal life living in the presence of our heavenly future now experiencing the life of heaven 
in our personal now. Present tense life. I want to, I'm going to, um, I've got so much good sermon material for the next times I preach. I'm going to, I'm not going to, I'm really happy because it's hard to study sometimes. And I'm just really glad I got a, I got a bunch of stuff saved up. But I want to tell you one story in conclusion about the reasoning factor. So yesterday I mentioned I led this one guy to Christ and of the two I led to Christ, the other guy was a young guy. He was in a furniture, standing by his furniture van that looks just like the baptism truck I'm going <laughs> to believe in God for. And you know, I was so excited about seeing his truck and looking at it that I didn't even introduce himself. I just went up to him with overflowing enthusiasm and said, you know what, I, I'm going to get a truck like this. I want to tell you what I'm going to do with it. And I explained to him about the windows you can see and people getting, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drive around and people I lead to Christ. I'm a street evangelist, by the way. And, and I'm going to baptize them right on the spot. It's going to be so cool. How much do you think a truck like this would cost? He just finally got a grip. We talked a bit. And he said he thought he'd probably go to heaven because he believes in God but doesn't believe in Jesus. He'd probably still go to heaven. So this is what I told him. This is my last story for today. I, I said, I agree with you that all the great religious teachers have something to say. Jesus being one of them. Then I drew a line on, a, on the road with a, I grabbed a rock and I just scratched the line. I said, but they're all on this side and Jesus stands alone on this side. This is why. I said to him, I said, Jesus is the only great teacher that died for your sins so that all of your sins can be forgiven. He's the only one. And I said, Jesus is also the only one of all the teachers who rose from the dead never to die again. He's unique. And I said, there's one more thing. Jesus and Christianity are the only religions that many of them talk about heaven in kind of a foggy nirvana, just sort of a, just sort of a, not clear, sort of a spirit spirit way. I, I don't know how to even describe it. Jesus in Christianity says that just like the body of Jesus will rise from the dead, so will the believers. These bodies will be new and different, but these bodies will be raised to, from death just like the resurrection of Jesus, the first fruits. And there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and we get to live in it. It's the only religion that promises that. Yes. Resurrected bodies, not just spiritual nebula floating around. Yeah. You, know what you know what? I cornered him with reasonableness. <laughs> he was stuck on this side. He was stuck in a corner. And there was no way out. And he, he, was, he couldn't get saved fast enough. Called on Jesus to be saved. I asked him if he would donate his truck to me. He wasn't able to do that. 
Let's stand. Let's stand up. We have a team, a worship team. I'm not a worship team, but a pastoral care team, a healing team. They'll be up here in the front to minister to anyone that would like prayer. If you're running away from God, like Jonah, you're going to get caught. Why don't you let him catch you today? There's two different ways to go to Nineveh. You could go the overland route that was really easy. Or you could go the marine route, which is a little tougher. Some of you have gone the marine route. You know it's tough. And it's time to say, you know what, Jesus? I don't, I don't want this whale experience any longer. This big fish swallowing, it just isn't work. It doesn't resonate within me as being my truth. This could be your day to call on Jesus. Will you join hands across the aisle? You can wash your hands later. And if you today are either starting your journey in Jesus and you're responding to his pursuit of you for the first time and you want to be born from above or if you've been straying and want to let him catch you, squeeze the hand of the person next to you really hard just for a moment. And if someone just squeezed, squeezed your hand, you squeeze their hand back, that's your promise to them, you'll be praying for them. And if you responded to Jesus in that simple step, I want to invite you with appeal to you to tell somebody before you leave this building today. You will decree a thing and it will be established to you. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart, God raised her from the dead, you shall be saved. It's your first step of confession. Don't leave the building without telling somebody that you got right with God today. Not, I'm going to try harder. It's a new life, not a new leaf. It's a new life. In Jesus Christ's name, God loves you. We love you. Stay in his love until he comes back, okay? See you next time.